0: This is the Ask a Vet podcast series from Solar Power World. Welcome to another edition of Ask a Vet. I'm Kathy Zitt, Managing Editor of Solar Power World. And this month's veteran has a longer solar legacy than anyone we've interviewed so far. Jane Wiseman recently retired from her position as President and CEO of IREC. She started her days at 5 a.m. for over 20 years, but her experience in solar is even more diverse, including working in PV in the late 80s and her involvement with NABCEP in the 2000s. And so Jane has been recognized with awards for her dedication to solar and policy. She said it's been quite a ride to be part of the transformation from Birkenstocks to blue suits and from patronizing headpats to political protagonists. So she's definitely a solid writer too. I really like that line. I'm very excited to have her here today. So, Jane, thank you so much for being here.
1: Kathy, thank you so much for inviting me and for setting up this opportunity to talk with your viewership.
0: Sure, definitely. It's gonna be it's gonna be fun. So, um, maybe a, a good place to start off with is kind of um, your studies. I know that you uh, studied sociology as an undergrad and then you studied government in a public administration master's program at Suffolk University and a short-term program for Massachusetts government executives at Harvard. So, I'm just wondering what drew your interest to those subjects.
1: You have to realize that I grew up in the in the 60s and and the early 70s being, you know, in school and certainly being involved in a lot of the different current events that were going on during that period. So I grew up in the environment that questioned things, certainly picked up on a lot of different issues that were happening, but also valued uh, public service. And I think that's certainly something we're not seeing so much today, but public service was considered a very honorable profession, and certainly one that A lot of us were attracted to. Sociology, political science, those kinds of disciplines gave you the academic underpinning that that were certainly needed, but mostly what what was going on in this country then, and certainly you know since, but at that point uh, was a pivotal influence on my thinking and my doing. I can imagine how
0: the uh, events of that time really led you to want to learn more about government. And so I know that you actually held some local and state government offices after college. So how do you feel your time in those positions maybe helps you in later roles?
1: This is interesting because where my schooling gave me the academics, it was certainly my time, especially with the city of Boston. I was there for almost a decade. And worked in the mayor's office, so I was exposed to an amazing amount of uh, issues, city issues, municipal issues, and the wonderful politics of the city of Boston. Two great loves in Boston are politics and the Red Sox, and uh, I certainly fell in love with both of these. My work at the city, um, I had done other campaigns prior to that, but that certainly solidified my love and my attraction to how things work and, and how do you make things work, especially when you're dealing with diversity, you're dealing with divisiveness, you're dealing with tight budgets, you're dealing with all of the issues that continue today. But I certainly got quite uh, a schooling, a street schooling, uh, working with the 22 wards and 362 precincts of Boston. To me, that was an incredibly valuable education, one that has taken me through my career and has given me uh, the guidance on working, not so much with specific issues, but working in, in the uh, political and, and the policy realm. I didn't get a degree for that, but I certainly got a heck of an education.
0: I'm curious how you went from that government office role to the solar industry.
1: It makes sense when I look back at it, I think at the time I wondered how I got where I was, but where I was, I was with the city, and then at that point, uh, Massachusetts was putting together a number of different centers of excellence. This was under Michael Dukakis's administration in Massachusetts, and one of those centers was on photovoltaics, and at that point, most of the market for photovoltaics was in the developing world, the off-grid market, and there was a lot of industry in, in Massachusetts as offshoots of MIT and Lincoln Lab, so where I was, was working with people I had known in the Kevin White administration, and then also in the Michael Dukakis administration, I was asked to to come in and talk about the new Center of Excellence uh, on Photovoltaics, and it sounded like a a challenge that I wanted to take on, and I did. And what I had said to um, the Secretary of Energy at that point was, well, you know, let me give it a year, and let's see how things go, and um, I'll give the commitment for at least a solid year. And that was what? Thirty plus years ago, and I'm still in the field, so I guess certainly resonated with me a career that I have found <laughs> enormously uh, satisfying
0: that's really cool that you've gotten to see the industry grow and change through you know all those years I'm sure it oh, was yeah. was much
1: different in the late eighties and mm-hmm. early nineties It really was and again if you if you take a look at it in hindsight, it is interesting to see how it has progressed you know when we started basically. People just kind of equated solar energy with tree-huggers and sort of off-grid living and and hippies. Birkenstocks. um, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And that was not unfair. I mean, that was probably a pretty darn good assessment because that's what was kind of perpetuated. But the technology of solar energy, I mean, some of the work coming out of uh, the National Lab's The R&D efforts of the federal government, it was pretty impressive. But what we found was that what was coming out in terms of papers, in terms of information, was very, very technical. And in order to move from the the lab and the research into the marketplace, you needed that bridge between the, the technical documents and the opportunity for consumers from the range of residential consumers, to, but more specifically to state governments and other government agencies, you needed a a reading of this technology, what it does and what it, uh, it can do, that made sense and was understandable. And that's where we started trying to move a lot of the information coming out of the labs into understandable and readable information and action steps for decision makers. And so did that
0: kind of lead to your involvement in in IREC?
1: It did. It did. I was involved with IREC when I was with the Massachusetts Center of Excellence on PV. And then after I left, I was very much involved in what I consider a transformational effort, a national effort called the PV Compact. And that was the opportunity to finally bring the different stakeholders together. So for the first time, you had utility companies, you had the solar industry, you had regulators, you had consumer advocates, you had an enormous amount of people that had not met before, or if they had, it was more in an adversarial uh, environment. So for the first time, we brought these stakeholders together and formed what was considered the PV Compact, and started looking at what are the issues, what are the opportunities to move solar energy, photovoltaics forward. So the important ingredient in all of that was that we had people sitting around the same table and really trying to figure this out. That was critical in the early 90s, along with these kinds of opportunities to explain the technology to a whole host of different potential customers. And we we looked at the different communities that could use this, schools and parks and neighborhoods, and really tailored information. We had a series called Workshop in a Box. So we were able to bring information clearly, easily, and accessible to, to many different people around the country.
0: That's really neat. And what a, a career it's been for you. I know you recently retired from Iraq, So What's maybe your your proudest moment
1: looking back at, at that work? Well, that's it's, it's a, it's a hard question because there are many answers. I was most proud, I think, of the the intellect, the team, the staff that IREC has worked with over the years because we really stuck to our guns on, on the culture that was IREC, which had certainly included not only integrity, but also a real commitment to fact-based analysis and information. And we worked hard on that and made sure that we also included collaborative efforts and insight and talked to all parties as we put together model rules, as we put together best practices, the part that I missed the most. But as I look back on sort of the long list of, of accomplishments, Along with this PV compact that I mentioned, we were happy to be at the founding table creating the uh, the credentials for the industry. It was a tough job, but again, one that we brought all the players together. But we really wanted to create standards for the workforce. We felt that if this was going to really gain mainstream market share, solar also had to have a quality workforce and that it could no longer be Haphazard, and as we saw, the, the the different jobs no longer one person did everything. There certainly that there was classification of different jobs as the market became more sophisticated. There also had to be assurances that there was competency built into the uh, into operations. And the development of the North American Board of Certified Energy Practitioners was a real flagship opportunity for for IREC to to be a very vocal part of creating that.
0: Right, I was going to ask about your involvement with that because you were the vice chair of NAPSEP, so IREC was part of its founding then?
1: We were um, not only part of the effort, but we were a very loud part of the effort. We were not going to step on anybody's toes, but we were not going to let people walk away from this. We really felt that substantial standards were necessary so we were we were at the table before NAPCEP was created to make sure that there was buy-in from the states, from the industry, from the government, from the unions. I mean, we really did due diligence. And no mistake, there were some significant food fights, but at the same time, there was the general consensus that this was something that had to be done.
0: What a great thing we have created, even though it's not a law or anything like that, it really does hold a lot of value. I know many of our top solar contractors are NAPSUP certified and that really says a lot for their skill set and dedication to quality work.
1: Yeah, they, they should be very proud of that credential. It's not an easy one to, to get and mm-hmm. it certainly is not an easy one to keep. That is a real mark of competency. You had also talked
0: about trying to bring solar into the mainstream. I'm wondering when Along your time in solar, did you realize this this isn't just a hippie thing, this is really something that could be on many home rooftops and businesses and something that could really be a, a major part of our energy mix?
1: That's an interesting question. And, Kathy, I'm not sure there was any, you know, one magic moment. I think my feeling day one was that this was not going to be a casual On again, off again, kind of energy source, Mm -hmm. and I think I always approached it, you know, in terms of how do you move this from where it was very technical and very much on the margins with the Birkenstocks, and how do you move that to a real, real business opportunity? So that was that was part of my mindset from day one, and certainly with a lot of the industry people in the state, that was reinforced. This was not a garage. Type technology. This was beginning to have big players, and even though some of them came in and out of the market, there's certainly the realization that this this was not to be discarded. I should say, though, and, and as a as a big footnote on that, I think a lot of the early players, and perhaps some of the, even the current players, are not convinced that this is. <laughs> This is here to stay, and that they do come in, they do go out. There are a lot of different market barriers that some can withstand and some cannot. This is not no longer greenwashing. I really think that solar as a market player is here. And I mean, there's plenty of evidence, there's plenty of good reports, and, and seeing the, the market grow every year is very encouraging. But we're beginning to get some really significant. Opposition, and that plays on to a lot of the regulatory work that we've been involved in, as well as others, on the state level. And I think that some of some very deep pockets are going after the solar industry and the and the solar policy market because it's no longer irrelevant. It is playing a bigger and bigger role, and the constituency that is supporting it is growing. I certainly see that. In some ways, we've been a victim of our success. This is part of success that the more successful you are, expect opposition. I kind of look at this as a sign of progress, even though it's kind of uh, diverts attention and taking up resources that could be better spent doing other things.
0: yes, absolutely that's that's a really good point. Become our own victim of ourselves, and we've become kind of a threat, sort of. <laughs> it's like, you know, this thing's here to stay, and, and it's created so much movement. That is one of the challenges that we're seeing today. And, and I know a part of maybe dealing with that, too, is patience. And I know that you wrote a farewell blog for IREC, and you said, inch by inch, progress is sometimes painfully slow for us. Impatient foot tappers, patience is key for solar. So, can you maybe talk about how you've had to be patient during your thirty years in solar and you know how that still plays into solar today? what do we What do we have to be patient for today?
1: I think it's how do you frame time? We all tend to individualize time to conform to you know, our career or our lifespan. thirty plus years a long time, um, not when you look at you know most diffusion models and you know how Technologies get developed and tested and moved from r and d into the market, but certainly when you're in the middle of it and then you have the opportunity to sort of, with the hindsight look back, you you do end a lot of the, the the day by saying, "You know what is taking us so long?" And that's inherent whenever you're trying to really shift business models and shift how things are produced and used, it doesn't happen overnight not just technology, but what are the rules? What are the rules for for using this and connecting this stuff and Mm -hmm. and pricing this stuff? What are the rules that have to be looked at, changed, or created? That doesn't happen overnight. It's frustrating, but that's the reality of it. And I think impatience is good. It shows motion. It shows you you, you're being dynamic. On the other hand, it can be counterproductive if you skim over some of the important deep-rooted issues that need to be addressed.
0: You also said in your piece that embedding quality assurance into the clean energy sector has been on your top 10 hit list for years. So can you tell me more about why that's so important?
1: Yeah, that goes back to a couple of things I said earlier about NAPSEP. but it takes a long time to build a sustainable market and, boy, overnight it can be destroyed with poor quality work or poor quality product. Nothing spreads quicker than bad news, and you really have to be careful. Listen, mistakes will always happen, but what you want to do is minimize that, and the, one of the ways of minimizing that is by building quality assurance standards, opportunities to, to review standards and review competency and, and endurance All of that prevents and and encourages consumer confidence in in what you're doing. And without consumer confidence, that's what's going to either set you way back or potentially could could totally derail you. To me, that is, is critical, and I know that IREC has started some real consumer protection tools. They're mostly aimed at this point for the residential market. But you really need to make sure that you have happy consumers and what you don't want are any surprises. Yeah. Um, quick sale, double talk, you know, the robocalls, all of that stuff creates the environment that here comes another snake oil salesman. And that's the last thing we want. And I realize, I mean I'm practical enough to realize that many of us started in this business with a mission. It doesn't mean we were naive or idealistic. The reality is that today a lot of people in the business do not carry that same mission. And that's okay. That's fine. But to, to grab the quick buck, to um to make the most sales, to to shortcut important steps, that's where we're going to potentially fall on our face. And you know, I'm delighted when I see the Solar Energy Industries Association SIA really build consumer protection into their their culture. Right. Um, this, is, this is very important. I think that in addition to that, you have an industry association that's very much saying to the consumer, we're on your side, but IREC's role is as, you know, we don't have a financial stake in solar, so we bring a more nonpartisan voice to the table. And I think these kinds of assurances, without them, even though they may add a few extra cents or they may be a pain in the neck. These are not not adding hoops to jump through. It's adding consumer protection.
0: Right. I've heard some contractors that I've interviewed say that as well, and it's frustrating because if someone has a bad experience with contract or, you know, someone, a solar professional, it totally changes their view of the entire industry. And we're at a point where we are still trying to educate people about the industry. So negative experiences really have a big impact. Absolutely. just have a, a couple more questions. I wanted to kind of talk on a more personal level. Again, at the end of your farewell piece, you said you were off for a while searching for your lost shaker of salt, which I love because I'm a big Jimmy Buffett fan. I like, uh-huh. I like his philosophy and I'm a chronic vacationer myself, but it, does, <laughs> but it doesn't seem like you're officially retiring. You still have your consulting business. So do you ever plan to drink that margarita or what keeps you going?
1: Well, I, I have to admit, I have been drinking, quote, that margarita or something similar. But, Good for you. It's um, lot,
0: It's deserved.
1: Yeah, and you know, it's, I'm kind of reclaiming my time, which um, I have thoroughly enjoyed because I never did stop and smell the roses. I mean, I loved my job. Nobody was twisting my arm. I loved the work. I loved getting up in the middle of the night and trying to figure something out. The weeks and the weekends sort of merged into each other. But right now, it's time to sort of reclaim the opportunity to see things and do things and figure out what's next. I've been having a blast. I miss my colleagues terribly. That daily interaction, sorely miss that. But mm-hmm. I've taken courses in other topics. I've done some exciting travel. I, I walk the beach now, looking at the sun from a different angle. So mm-hmm. <laughs> this trip I had in January to Cambodia and, and Vietnam had a real impact oh, on me. There, what you know, what's going on is. A lot of dams are either being built, and hydropower, with all of its benefits, is going to change that whole area. I mean there are six sixty million downstream residents on the Mekong, and dams, especially in the lower Mekong, can be dramatically changed in terms of climate change. Mm-hmm. and you know that mm-hmm. whole area is going to be dramatically changed and not necessarily for for the best. There are so many unexploded landmines that are still there that, you know, and a lot of those mines we left behind. Mm -hmm. Um, That's something that has really resonated with me. And this is kind of a long answer to your question. I don't have any intention of walking away from clean energy and solar, but now I have the time and the opportunity to to look at other issues. You get to learn in a different way. Well, I just want
0: to thank you so much again, Jane. It's been awesome getting to know you. What an interesting career you've had and what an interesting person you are. So thank you for everything you've done for the solar industry and continue to do. And thank you for talking with me today. Kathy, I you. your words mean a
1: lot to me, and I just appreciate the opportunities.
0: This has been another
1: edition of Ask a Vet.
0: Join us each month as I, editor Kathy Zipp, bring you the unique perspectives and insights of those who have spent more than a decade in solar. Thanks for listening to the Solar Power World podcast. Join us online for more podcasts, videos, and great editorial content at solarpowerworldonline.com. And don't forget to share your thoughts on social media. Catch you next month.